This is the Geek Confidential Podcast. Today, I have Mo Walker. Welcome, Mo. Glad to be here, Luke. And Dan Pierce. Welcome, Dan. Hey. Um, before we get to DC Fandom, we want to take a moment to discuss what may be probably the shock- most shocking news in the world of geek entertainment. The passing of um, Avengers and Black Panther star Chadwick Boseman. Apparently, he had colon cancer for the past four years. Well, um, do like filming and promoting all these films he had been battling cancer it was a shock and i don't think that any of us really have quite grasped it yet mo what was your reaction to this yeah this this really shocked me because when i heard about it um on uh, friday night i was visiting some uh a friend of mine um who who passed um a couple years ago and it was the anniversary of his passing and we were just sitting there just talking and his mother and i just were on on social media and then we just saw this and we were both looked at each other like we just couldn't believe it and especially once we saw what um with his illness, uh, Chadwick Boseman's illness was, and um, my f- my friend's father um, had mentioned he's like, yeah, I just you know he was just like I just rewatched like Black Panther um, like a few days ago, and it was it just just it was like a gut punch, a literal gut punch, and you know for me what was already a solemn day just kind of made it like really worse because here's this 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 young man and he's not much you know older than I, I am and it's just like wow he, he he's a true warrior he just you know he keeps he kept his head down and he was he was going about his business entertaining people going out promoting these events you would see him doing volunteer events all while he was just battling this illness so it just so you know as a as a fan my, my thinking is, is like, and my, my feeling is, is that, you know, we need to thank the, his family, thank his family for sharing him with us all these years, because I'm sure, you know, he was taking time away from his family, you know, to, to do all of this, but not only just, you know, just to entertain us, but to support his family as well. And it's just, it's, it's a real total loss and a, and a shame. Um, but hopefully, you know, again, it just emphasizes the need for people to be vigilant about colon cancer, especially among the African-American population, the black male population. It's just, just, just a devastating blow. Well, I will be straight up honest. My grandmother had colon cancer. She was able to beat it and was in remission when she passed. It was unrelated to colon cancer and it was over almost 15 years after she had it. But with him being 43 and me being 41 and having a history of it, I was like, I think come January when I have my yearly physical, I am going to be like, so we need to check. 
Um, Dan, what did you... And so from my standpoint, I was like, this is a reminder that colon cancer is one of those things that a lot of people don't think about. And it can take you by surprise. So it's always good to be preventative. Uh, Dan, what was your reaction to Chad Bozeman? Absolutely stunned. Uh, I... I'm still processing. I don't have enough words to express how devastating of a loss this is and how strong he was for, you know, that was seven or eight movies in the span of four years while battling a stage three cancer. I, I I can't imagine like the the strength the determination the fortitude to be able to do that and not only do that but do that on the level that he did where he was just so beloved and respected and how how important i i really am struggling with the words but it it's just it's a it's a loss it, it it's a it's a significant loss um did you guys have a favorite moment or scene from one of his movies whether it was him as black panther or one of his other movies because he did have quite the career outside of the marvel universe mo well i was gonna say honestly you know the first time i truly remember him on screen because he you know he had a face we we'd seen him in other places before you know we previous when black panther came out we talked about how he was the original reggie montgomery and all my children but you know i for me i remember him uh quite vividly you know in 42 when he played jackie robinson and and it was like when he got the role of T'Challa, I was like, "Oh, it's the dude who played Jack, Jack, Jackie Robinson." And I was like, "Okay, that was that was a really good movie." And I was like, "Okay, I think he, he'll he'll make a great Black Panther." You know, and and of course, you know, he he played Thur, Thurgood Marshall. Um, and again, that was right after Civil War, uh, Captain America: Civil War. That is so. You know, just saying, and I already knew. You know, he could he could portray historical figures in a in a in a rather moving way. So, so, but when I looked on his his IMDb page, just just to kind of see some other things that maybe I'd forgotten about. Um, you know, I I didn't realize he was in that, or I didn't recall him being in that ABC Family show, that old uh, ABC Family show, uh, Lincoln Heights. And I used to watch that fairly regularly, and you know he had a he was in there about nine ten episodes, um, but you know it was just like he it wasn't really till the the 2010s when I think he started to blow up, and and obviously you know Black Panther would have you know just sailed him into the, the 2020s, uh, but but it's just it's just very unfortunate. Dan, how about you? Uh, for me. Getting to see him host Saturday Night Live was such a treat because he not only is a talent and got to, you know, laugh and joke. He had a really good skit where he like 
it was sort of like there were these women at Disneyland and if they look in the mirror, they got to see like the princess of themselves, except for there was this one woman who, um, I, I, he, he was, um, I think he was playing and I correct me if I'm wrong. I think he was playing like R Kelly dancing into the mirror and the woman got offended that like, all, all these people get like, the, you know, these Disney princesses and it's just R. Kelly dancing into a mirror. What the heck? I, I just, I, he was really funny. You know, he was really funny in Black Jeopardy, he, which was a classic because he got to play T'Challa. He got to do a skit where he was talking about people doing the Wakanda forever pose to him and how, you know, grating that kind of got. So getting to poke fun at all of these different angles and just letting in a sense of humor that, you know, we, we got to see a little bit in T'Challa in black Panther and civil war and Avengers, you know, with the, we don't do that here kind of stuff. Um, but to see it, uh, like beyond that was really, really cool. Um, he was one of those actors that I wish I had, seen more of his films i wanted to see 16 bridges i wanted to see draft day i wanted to see marshall i wanted to see 42 i just for whatever reason i just never got around to it but now i i feel awful for the fact that i i didn't get to share it while he was with us mo brought up um reggie and all my children which for those people who are listening who aren't familiar with Daytime Confidential, obviously that's the podcast that I've been doing the longest. Um, and what's interesting about that is Michael B. Jordan portrayed Reggie, and he was the and I had seen him on um, The Wire, and so when he arrived on All My Children, I basically I didn't like I he's always been Reggie to me. But when I went back and looked and was thinking about it, it was like, I don't actually remember Chadwick Boseman as Reggie number one, because for me, Michael B. Jordan was the person who, well, he was the one who was on the show the longest, and he was the one who I had seen prior to it. So it completely never registered. And I went back and I looked through most of his like credits and I was like okay he's been on things that I've seen but obviously some of this stuff is like what Dan pointed out where he after like he really blew up and I think what <clears throat> even though I don't have a long history of him outside of the Marvel movies I think what I appreciate most is how he as an actor in the role of Black Panther was able to create a character that was someone that you could really connect with. Um, and the fact that he was inspiration for so many millions of people and part of what he did at portraying this character was bring that. And then he trans, he translated his celebrity into good works and into activism in terms of like what he stood for and spoke for. I mean, if you go back and of course right now there's a lot of articles that are out there about the things that he has done with his celebrity. It, it really 
makes you think about the fact that this is someone who took his responsibility for playing this iconic character and becoming at the time the biggest, I believe it was the biggest grossing film of the Marvel franchise. And he, he took it seriously and he didn't waste it. It was not a wasted opportunity. And I think that that is why you have sites like the Huffington post in, instead of like um, rest in peace, their, their headline was rest in power he really did that and he personified it and he did it in small ways and he did it through his depiction of a character. And I, I, I don't think that right now, even though we realize how big of a movie Black Panther is, it may be one of those things that in the coming years we will look back and we will realize how that his importance in that role was even more than we realize it to be today. And I'm really sort of bungling this up. But um, it was definitely one of those things where I was like, it was shocking. It definitely makes you want to check your health. And it also is one of those things where he was an inspiration, a, a global inspiration. And in a society today where you don't have many of those type of people, it's much appreciated. Mo, did you have any other thoughts on this before we move on? Because I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to short sheet it, as it were. Well, you know, I'm the one thing I and I was going to say is, you know, it's an inspiration that the the life that he had, you know, this life of he was working actor until you know steadily building. His, his his resume and that for people who are pursuing their dreams and passions you know you you look at this and you think you know you want to be reflective of where you are in your life and where you want to be and you know if there's something you want to do you, you need to like work on that you need to come up with a game plan and and work towards that because as we are finding out this year you know, there are several celebrities, young celebrities, who have died, and whether it was accidents or illnesses, and that we should take advantage of the opportunities that we have, and we and we should try to really work hard at pursuing our dreams. I, I just, I feel like, like you said, Luke, that here's this here's this man who who saw this opportunity, he grabbed it with both hands. He was sick and still was powering through. I mean, the the mental fortitude. I mean, again, I, I want to say, you know, I really, truly appreciate, you know, what the film means, Black Panther, the film Black Panther means to me. But again, I, I hope that, you know, his, his family can see that, you know, he, he will leave a legacy, a lasting legacy in the small amount of films that he did, not just Black Panther, but the representation of all these, you know, pr uh, black figures who've been key, key figures in trying to to push this this society forward. He's he's he plays played several of them, you know, fictional and real, and it's just you know, and I really hope that that people look back on his body work as you said, you know. Um, 10, 20 years from now and just see, you know, 
how much he did in such a short period of time. This past week, we also lost another icon, but it's someone who people probably couldn't put a face to. Joe Ruby, the co-creator of Scooby-Doo, passed away. And of course, Scooby-Doo is the animated... Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? is the animated series that... It came out in the late 60s and aired in the early 70s. Um, And I remember as a kid growing up in the 80s, we were still watching those cartoons. And since then, there have been various adaptations. There have been um, big screen live action films. There have been animated films. He was also responsible for the likes of Alvin and the Chipmunks. So from a purely creative standpoint, this was a, a legend who in many ways shaped a lot of people's childhoods in the terms of the content that they um, watched, at least for a, a generation, at least for myself. I know that there, the Scooby-Doo um, series that have been on in recent years have been sort of touch and go, but we have had the movies, and I think we even had a Scooby-Doo movie, what, last year or was it this year? 2020 feels really long, so I can't remember if it was 2019 or 2020, um, but we just had an animated film for it. Um, and so he was another legend, but he's he's not something that most people could probably identify. Mo, I know that you're a little bit closer than in age to me than I think Dan is. Did you watch a lot of Scooby-Doo? Oh, yes! Yes! <laughs> oh, Sco- uh, Scooby! But I will say, Luke, the, the, the movie you're referring to, it came out earlier this year. It was um, Scooby. Like it was I supposed said, to re- this has been very long year. Yeah, but I was going to say the interesting thing about it is, is that if you look at the promotional material for, for Scoob, it also has like Scooby teaming up with another Hanna-Barbera creation, which for me, you know, it's like they were showing the reruns of Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? But then you also had Scooby-Doo team up and which... Luke, if I don't know if you remember, he teamed up with the Globe Trotter. Oh, so I remember. Okay, so that... back when I was a kid watching these as cartoons, the Globe Trotters would show up on pretty. I mean, if the Globe Trotters showed up on Masters of the Universe, it would not have sur- surprised me because the Globe Trotters showed up everywhere. You're right. The Harlem Globetrotters were everywhere, but I believe, if memory serves correctly, they had their own cartoon at that point. But I was gonna say. Um, you know, Scooby-Doo team-up in particular, I mean, it was just really, really random. You had them team up with Batman and Robin, um, the Bruce Wayne, Dick Grayson versions. You would have them team up with um, f- just just these all these, like, random celebrities and stuff. I, I think it even had, like, the, they had a team-up with the Addams Family for... for for goodness sake. But um, I was going to say Scooby-Doo is just, it's just one of those properties that will, will go on. It will, it will certainly outlast us. Um, it will come in different permutations. Like you said, um, you know, it just, it well, seems they, to they, when you yeah. speak, when you mentioned that they did a crossover with Supernatural. Yes. Like what, a year ago, two years ago, very recently in terms of television yeah. time. And it was a really good, I was like, I didn't know that I needed Dean and Sam to be in animation, but now I do. I need a supernatural animated series. Yeah. It's it, so, so 
you know, it's it's really sad when you know, these creators of these properties, these franchises, pass on, um, and they and they, and like you said, Luke, it's just someone we may not as as the general public or even the geek, the genre fandom may not may not even recognize this person on the street. Yeah, I mean, we reckon we would recognize Stan Lee. Most yep. people, most people, I think a lot more people would certainly recognize Jack Kirby after the Marvel films started coming out. But he passed long before the Marvel films had come out. But some, um, but something, somebody like this gentleman, it, it just, I just hope that um, people do will learn about him a little bit more. I, I certainly wasn't familiar with him um and i you know like you said i grew up on scooby-doo i mean it was just a a a just a touchstone of of your childhood dan did you watch scooby-doo uh i wasn't really uh, a scooby-doo person because i i tended to watch nickelodeon instead of cartoon network and cartoon network was had scooby-doo however i did watch I forget how young you are. (laughs) I did watch Alvin and the Chipmunks because that was Nickelodeon as opposed to Cartoon Network. So from that standpoint, I really enjoyed... When we were children, Scooby-Doo just came on on Saturdays on the big networks, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Yeah, and he'd been running for years on like Saturday mornings, and uh, right. I think it was ABC. But remember, Luke, there was also that Alvin and the Chipmunk show that was on NBC Saturday mornings as well right. during that Saturday. same time period. Before my parents got religion, before my parents got religion, I couldn't watch the Saturday morning cartoons because we worshipped on Sabbath, but or on Saturday, but. Um, you would try and catch the reruns that took place on like sometimes if you got up early enough, they might be on on Sunday morning because they were replaying. Um, so that was how I caught those. Yeah, I, eventually, I I think down the line, Nickelodeon started grabbing like syndication rights on all sorts of old properties and just like promoting them as if they were new things. So like Alvin and the Chipmunks, I'm like, this is awesome. This is cool. Or the Charlie Brown and Snoopy show. Oh, this is what a cool thing for Nickelodeon to do when in reality, it's like, this was from like the seventies and eighties guys. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed Alvin and the Chipmunks, uh, as like a little, little kid. Um, you know, so it's very sad to hear that their creator, uh, passed on. In the past couple of weeks, we've had a lot of premiere dates revealed. On September 3rd, Raised by Wolves, which if you've watched that trailer, it's a story about um, androids raising human children and on a uh, the only survivable planet for humans um, after Earth is basically destroyed. And then the ship carrying what remained of humanity arrives. And then you have a battle for these children between the arriving humans and the androids who are raising them. It's by Ridley Scott. I cannot wait. Like September 3rd, I will be looking forward to that. September or October 15th, Star Trek Discovery returns to CBS All Access. October 26th, this is not um, television, but 
for me as a World of Warcraft player, World of Warcraft Shadowlands drops on the 26th, which is exciting for me. Um, His Dark Materials uh, Season 2 is going to premiere in November on HBO. And then on December 17th, The Stand, which is the adaptation of Stephen King's novel and starring Whoopi Goldberg, um, premieres on December 17th. Were there any other shows that you guys were looking for that I might not have included on this list that are going to be premiering? Uh, Dan, how about you? Is there anything that you're looking forward to in the fall? Uh, not not a lot. Um, a lot of the things I would typically look forward to got pushed to 2021. Uh, so I'm sort of left kind of trying to navigate like media and television and movies and stuff like that um, in this COVID era, which it's really difficult. um, But hopefully there are uh, some new stuff that we can kind of, kind of get behind. Mo, how about you? Probably the biggest thing that I'm, one of the biggest things that I'm looking forward to will be uh, the crown, which is not, you know, our typical pew, 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 but you know, have to bring back the old, the old like um, the 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 old uh, sci-fi sounds that um, Luke that you, you used to do. But um, I never actually Mel. made those sounds. <laughs> Mel made those sounds making fun of me. Yeah, sorry, sorry, Mel. Yeah, <laughs> but um, for, for the for the Anglophiles, um, one of the big shows that's certainly coming back. Uh, is is the crown and it of course has touches you know you it, it has a very doctor who like trapping where you know after two seasons the the uh individual playing queen elizabeth get swapped out with someone else so you're using that doctor who mechanism to kind of regenerate and renew the show but anyway the the fourth season of that will be premiering on um November 15th on Netflix. I think that a lot of Anglophiles will not be watching whatever they have on PBS's Masterpiece that night. They will be indulging in The Crown because this season we will be getting to Princess Diana. Um, it's, 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 I always love this show. It's very fascinating to look at it in, in terms of the historical context. It, just being an Anglophile. Okay, at the beginning of the podcast, we teased DC's fandom, and there was a ton of news that came out of it. Um, I'm going to just rattle off a whole bunch of shit, and you guys can take your pick about the things that most excited you, even if it isn't something that I rattle off. There was a Suicide Squad trailer and a tease for the characters that was very cool. Wonder Woman, the Wonder Woman trailer, looked badass. We found out that Milestone Comics is returning with various properties, and including Static, which I always find it interesting because they say that depending on what period you're from, it's either Static Shock or Static, depending on whether or not you watch the cartoons. And for me, it's always Static Shock. Robert Pattinson 
premiered in his trailer as the Batman, and we also found out that the series that the Batman movie is going to be considered quote unquote year two, and that the TV series that is coming is going to be year one. So it's going to be a prequel to the movie that we're getting. We found out that Justice League, um, the Snyder Cut, is going to be four hours of entertainment. Now, as someone who is a Snyder skeptic, that scares me. But the trailer for the Snyder Cut looks amazing. So I'm trying very hard to not let my um, pre-inclinations shadow or mar what might be fantastic. We found out that The Flash is going to have not just Ben Affleck in it. We already knew that Michael Keaton was going to be appearing in the Flash movie, but now we know that Ben Affleck will be reprising his role in that as well. Um, we got teasers for the Flash um, upcoming season, which will be airing beginning in January. <sighs> DC Fandom took in 22 million views. Mo. I think I know what you're going to say, but I may be wrong. What most excited you about DC Fandom? Well, probably um, you had already mentioned it, but I will go. I actually have a tie, um, <laughs> as we like to do on this show. Um, one, obviously, you mentioned the return of, of Milestone Comics you know, go, uh, growing up in, in the 90s. The milestone imprint came on came on the scene in '93, headlined by um, you know a quad of some some really interesting pe- folks who, who who were brought together uh, by an individual. One of the key architects of milestone was du- the late Dwayne McDuffie, who is just a visionary comic book creator, not in the same way that. Your big comic book creator names like your Jim Lees and so forth, but this was a man who understand understood the mechanics of how these superheroes worked, and the facets of how they could work in other media. You know, again, you wouldn't have Luke, you wouldn't have that Static Shock car- cartoon if it wasn't for the work of Dwayne McDuffie, uh, Dennis Cowan, and the other creators of of Milestone. You certainly wouldn't have the work that he put into the Cartoon Networks. Justice League and Justice League Unlimited cart- cartoons. Uh, Dan, I don't know, did you watch those when you were younger? Uh, no, but I did catch up on um, the first two seasons of Young Justice, so I'm, I'm sure there, there's some influence there. Yeah, and, and his characters like Static and Icon, they've appeared in Young Justice. They certainly are in the, the current um, season of, of Young Justice. He helped DC... Uh, with a number of their direct-to-video uh, uh, animated adaptations and so forth. So it's really great to see that that these properties are going to be put back front and center. I think it's at a time in which we, we look for representation in our superheroes and our superheroines. And... The other thing is, is with Milestone, one of the things that Milestone did is, is that they were tackling other issues and so forth that people felt were taboo and so forth in the pages of their comics, trans issues, uh, LGBT, uh, 
L- other and other LGBTQ plus issues during during that period of time. Uh, unfortunately, the company in and of itself was only publishing uh, for about four for about four years. Then um, there were some attempts in the 2000s and um, the 2010s to bring it back. But now we're going to be fans are going to be looking at digital comics uh, first of like a static and icon starting in about um, February 2021. I'm sure there are going to be some more details coming in um, the, sept- the the DC fandom event that's scheduled for uh, September 12th. Uh, so, so really, really, um, I really was excited to hear about that because it's been something as a comics fan you've been hearing rumblings about for years, especially after uh, Dwayne McDuffie's uh, passing. You've been hearing people, try, um, the other members of the group, and and they brought in a, another uh, individual to join the Milestone Media family to uh, kind of kind of bring these properties back. The other panel that I was really that really excited me. I certainly enjoyed uh, Wonder Woman 1984, but Luke, I was surprised you did not bring up the Black Adam panel. I mean, I mean seriously, you didn't you didn't touch on the rock, you know, just standing there in his green screen temple, you know, answering fan questions. You had the Jim Lee artwork there, you know, showing I, off I with this admit, world. I did like. not watch that one. I will say I will say the rock it was probably he was probably the one of the most energetic and engaging uh, presenters during the, during these segments. I think that though he didn't have there wasn't a lot to show the enthusiasm. You could just see it. It just it just was like bulging from his. Ve- it was like it was if you can measure the enthusiasm by his biceps. I mean they were huge. I mean, the, the amount of enthusiasm. Um, I don't know if, if Dan caught that because Dan, you know, being a fan of The Rock, being a fan of his other franchises, you know, hopefully I, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if Dan has some things to say about about this one as well. I, it, it's interesting you say that, Mo. I, I enjoy uh, The Rock. I'm excited for, uh, you know, Fast 9. I know he's not going to be in Fast 9. He... he They've already sort of hinted at that, but uh, I'm I'm also you know hopeful, cautiously hopeful for Black Adam, uh, just because you know DC can go all over the map sometimes. But uh, for me, as much as I enjoyed that, as much as I enjoyed uh, Wonder Woman 1984, and I'm very excited for that. As much as I'm excited for uh, you know the news of Static Shock, uh, hopefully Phil Lamar. Uh, is involved in that because he did so much for the original cartoon. Um, and as much as uh, the, I really enjoyed the Batman trailer with Rob, Robin Pat, or Robert Pattinson, uh, there's one that I need to talk about that Luke didn't mention but is so exciting, and that's Gotham Knights. Gotham Knights is coming out, and it, it is a open-world video game st- starring... Batman, uh, Jim Gordon, Barbara Gordon, Jason Todd, Tim Drake, Dick Grayson, and it, it just big giant map. You're solving crime. You're you're facing bad guys, and it's gonna be on uh, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, PlayStation Four, uh, PlayStation Five, and PC. And it's just it, it's such an exciting uh, development in games. 
uh, after the success of all those Arkham games that are just so beloved by so many, uh, I'm interested to see what the next generation of Batman games looks like. Anything else that really caught your attention at, um, at Fandome for either of you? Well, I will say the lack of Superman <laughs> was kind of surprising. Um, now, granted, I know we're getting some Superman-related panels and so forth in, uh, in, on the 12th because they're going to be promoting uh, the Superman and Lois show, and they just had a new direct-to-video or um, or a direct uh, animated video um, Superman called Superman Man of Tomorrow, which is just kind of surprising that there was there was this lack of Superman given how much he was utilized in the promotional material. And he kept being brought up. I mean, like, The Rock, for instance, was just mentioning, like, yeah, I'd, like, love a team-up between Superman. And, of course, you got uh, Superman appearing in the Snyder Cut. It's just that when you think of DC's big three, Batman, Wonder Woman, Superman, but, like, two of the three certainly got multiple panels, multiple missions during fandom, but you didn't get a whole lot of Superman love. So I I was just kind of surprised by that. We also got uh, the name for Shazam 2. And if I'm not mistaken, we got information on Aquaman 2, which apparently is going to be a little bit grittier, which when I was when I read that, I thought to myself, Aquaman 1 a lot of times was compared in terms of its fun aspect to Guardians of the Galaxy or Thorn, uh, Thor Ragnarok. And I'm like, why if you have the success, if, you have, if you're being compared to two really fun movies, would you decide to go grittier? It didn't quite make sense to me. I trust the vision because the first one was really enjoyable, but it did give me pause. Um, Netflix has canceled Altered Carbon, which I must confess, I have not yet watched season two of that. Um, What have you guys been watching this summer? I've been watching Stargirl. I loved it. I want to save that for like an in-depth discussion for when we can have Mel because I know how much Mel loves it. Um, I haven't had a chance yet to watch um the second season of doom patrol or is it the third i uh, the first when i watched doom patrol i watched them all in one giant lump catching up so i think the season two just premiered um but i haven't been able to watch that yet um there have been some others like the peacock network has a new show that looks really intriguing but i haven't had a chance to watch it um mo below decks on CBS All Access, I canceled. I canceled my CBS All Access because they didn't have Star Trek. And then three days later, they announced CBS All Access because I had already caught up on Picard. So and Discovery kept being delayed. So I was like, I'm going to just cancel this and save some money for a few months. Three days later, they they announced that Below Decks is coming, and I'm like. I want to see this. I really want to see this, but I'm not going to pay a subscription fee for an animated series when I'm when I'm still waiting for Discovery. So what did you think of Below Decks and what have you been watching this summer? Well, I will say Below Decks is definitely a Dan show. Um, it's and I'm not using that's not a pejorative. <laughs> it's not a pejorative. I want to state that 
for the record, so I don't get any hate tweets or hate it's emails a, or whatever. It's a Dan show. <laughs> Mike is or Mo is being totally condescending. Uh, no, no, no. But but if but I'm like, teasing. Yeah, but Dan has talked on here numerous times about his love of Rick and Morty, and it's it's the same animation style as Rick and Morty. You you ha- uh, one of the co-creators of Rick and Morty is is involved in the show. It it's like. One of your complaints about, I think some people may have complaints about the Orville, about its absurdity. Well, with Star Trek Below Decks, it's increasing that absurdity. Particularly, but don't you think that anime. you can get away with that with animation versus live action? Because for th- me, the the absurdity of the Orville was they take out the humanity because they go so absurd with these characters, where with animation you have more flexibility for the absurd. Yeah, and yes and no, but again, it, it, for long-term Trekkies, okay, they will remember this is not the first Star Trek animated series. There was that Star Trek animated series, I believe it was in the early 70s. Um, but the tone of that versus the tone of this, night and day, Whereas you could say the original Star Trek series, that animated series, um, very much could have just felt like the the next season of the original Star Trek series with Kirk and Spock and so forth. This is a parody. Uh, there, there's tons of satire. There's tons, tons of Easter eggs. The characters are likable enough, but I think you have to go into it with the mindset of there one, you're while it dwells, it talks about Star Trek continuity and you kind of know where the uh, continuity is for below decks. It doesn't outright tell you, or at least I've missed that. What I will say is that it's very entertaining. It's 25 minutes. If, for just someone like me who does like a bit of absurdity, um, I love the Orville. It fits right into that wheelhouse. I think you will certainly watch it. Now, I will not, and I stress this, I will not, I'll say that you should not just renew CBS All Access just to get Star Trek Lower Decks. Personally, you know, if, if you're trying to save money or whatnot, you could just wait until Discovery comes back and then watch it along with Lower Deck. Uh, you can and watch that, Lower Deck. That is my plan. Discovery. I I rotate my um, I rotate my streaming services. The only one that I keep all the time is Netflix, um, but I rotate them. So I'm currently I still I have Netflix and HBO Max, and then I have Hulu because it comes with Spotify for free. Uh, but the other ones, I cancel them and restart them as new programming comes. So I'm planning, fully planning on waiting to watch Below Decks until Discovery comes back. Now, Luke, in terms of other shows that I've been watching, you've already mentioned two of them, um, which is Stargirl and Doom Patrol. Mm-hmm. Which, um, and for just, just so you know, Doom Patrol, it was the second season of Doom Patrol. Unfortunately, it was only nine episodes. I believe that. Uh, I heard, I read, or I heard an Im- interview with Timothy Dalton, who plays the chief on Doom Patrol, in which he says that I believe that they were supposed to have an additional episode, but because of COVID, they lost 
an episode if I'm remembering that correctly. So it's only nine episodes, but I think what balances that out is because the first season of Doom Patrol, you had like 15 episodes. So it kind of, right. I think it was kinda, 12 or 15. It was long. It was long. I mean, that thing was super long, but again, it, it more or less, it continues with the show. It, there is no, it, there's no real tonal change. It continues the narrative that you got in the, in the first season, I think works really well, especially if people, you know, like you said, you binge the first season, then you literally, you can just keep going with the second and it really works. Um, Stargirl, Stargirl, and I get, and I know I want to save a lot of my comments for when we have a more in-depth discussion about it. I was really looking forward to this uh, because of, not necessarily my connections to the Stargirl character, because I do enjoy the character haven't and, and have enjoyed the character. She hasn't been appearing in a lot of comics in recent years, but I certainly have some comics from 20 years ago in which Courtney is, is a big part of those series. The creators behind the series have written a number of comics that I've loved. So I was very fascinated with what the show did. There were some definite twists and surprises, uh, but it was a very delightful show. Now, a show that I think on Netflix that people may be sleeping on is Warrior Nun. Its uh, creator which is... Which just got renewed. Which just got renewed. Its creator is Simon Barry. You may, uh, Simon Barry uh, created the show Continuum, which was on sci-fi. He's also worked on a number of other uh, sci-fi, uh, sci-fi properties as, as, as well on that network. It is based on a comic series about a uh, covenant of or a, a group of nuns who basically fight demons and so forth. And and they're part of a secret sect of the Vatican. The cast in that show, I didn't know. I wasn't familiar with any of them. I think the relationships between the nuns who are in the secret order. I mean, these nuns are literally trained in how to use submachine guns, knives, and so forth, and they've still taken their vows. It is, it's definitely the type of series, if you like something with a lot of mythology, it's definitely built into that. Um, I think the, the casting was inspired especially for the different nuns and as the season goes on you learn a bit about each of the different nuns the sisters within that, that sect now the comic warrior nun that's in the t- it's very different I mean it, it, it more or less takes the, the, the trappings is that um, you know uh, um you have a uh, an individual who is who gets this halo is the halo bearer. When they get the halo bearer, they endowed with these superpowers, and after a while, that individual dies, and the halo is passed on to someone else. So again, it's there's a built-in mechanism again, like Doctor Who, where after a while, if like let's say the current halo bearer, that actress wants to leave, you put the halo in someone else, you can keep it going. The one thing that um, probably probably kind of slightly annoyed me in terms of the pacing of the show is that it does one of those things where it takes a while before you put the halo bearer and the that the sect 
together and that they're working together as a cohesive unit. Um, one other show I want to shout out about is um, Agents of Shield, which had its its final season. It, it's uh, I know that I it doesn't get a lot of love on this show because it's just as over the years it's gotten disconnected from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but. As a long-term fan of the show, if you've been watching since day one, you can see the growth in this show. I think, for me, the strongest season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. hasn't always been season four, which had Ghost Rider in it. Ghost Rider was definitely the strongest. But I'm surprised yeah. you didn't mention Lovecraft Country. Well, I was going to say, and I had, but we're two, we're two episodes into Lovecraft Country. And honestly, my thoughts on Lovecraft... They're just kind of all over. It's in a good way. It's just it it take you watch it and then you just sit there and you just trying to dissect what you what you saw. And that's a show, you know, and I think like I know Mel's watching that. And so I figured, you know, we may have a deeper discussion about it when Mel can can be part of that, because I would really be interested in hearing what she has to say. Uh, I I do appreciate that HB, HBO continues to take these impressive swings when it comes to their genre shows. I mean, again, Lovecraft Country, you watch how gorgeous the show looks. Um, it's take tackling material that you just you just normally wouldn't take in genre, and it's just tearing apart those traditional genre trappings. I want to switch to a discussion topic, sort of as our final topic, to get your guys' reaction to Catherine, uh, Kathleen Kennedy's um, comments about the future of Star Wars. Um, in a recent interview with The Wrap, she talked about where the many different franchises are headed. And she goes, stories have been told within this universe over the last 40-odd years, and there's now a realization that this is a mythology that actually spans about 25,000 years. When you really start to look at all the different stories that have been told, whether it's in the books and games, Kennedy said, we just need to take the time to step back and really absorb what George has created and then start to think about where things might go. That's what we've been doing, and we've been having a great deal of fun doing it and meeting with lots of different films filmmakers and talent so let's talk about that a little because i mean the the last movie i believe was called the skywalker saga so that has and that has been the focus of almost the entire mythology both in the big screen the animated series there was always there's a skywalker involved of some sort um the Mandalorian sort of shifted that tone as did Rogue One, but even then we had the cameo of a Skywalker at the end of it. Um, but I love Rogue One. It's my favorite of the Star Wars movies, um, and I love The Mandalorian. So on those fronts, I've been pre impressed. I was not so much a fan of the Han Solo movie. Dan, when you see them talking or hear them that they're talking about expanding this based on 25,000 years of a mythology what is your fir your knee-jerk reaction to that? And if you is there anything in particular that you would like to see them develop? Um for me, I'm I, I'm left sort of scratching my head, being like, why weren't you doing that already? Like why why weren't you looking at the greater landscape of this expansive universe that spans all of these different genres of books and comics and video games and cartoons and uh, movies just 
all of these different things, all of these different characters with all of these intricacies, you know, uh, Knights of the Old Republic, uh, anything involving Thrawn uh, from the books and the, the comics and all of these different things. I, I'm sort of left baffled being like, you have so much time to develop and to create and to make sure that what you're putting out there is going to be a good story. And instead this trilogy was a bit of a cash grab and that's fine, but you also need to put out some good stories also. And I, with Rogue One, I feel as though they did that and they took the time, fit it within the universe in like a in a point that just sort of fits. Everything is cohesive. It all works with timelines. We got some fan service, but we also got some interesting and original characters. It was all good. Uh, Solo, they they really I feel as though they let the problems uh, behind the camera dictate some of the issues that the narrative had in front of the camera. And then when they realized it, they were like, well, at least we'll have more of these movies because we have this guy signed on for multiple movies. And you can't bank on that. You, like, so do you feel that they're missing a Feige? They're, they're missing a Feige. I, I don't even necessarily think they need a Feige so much as just a coherent voice who understands the creative process and the greater scope of narrative spanning multiple mediums. I mean, even if you're grabbing a story that's already been told in a different medium, like in a book or in a comic or something like that, you can still bring that to the screen. One of my favorite Star Wars stories is just the original Star Wars Rogue Squadron game. Nintendo 64, it's very simple. It's Luke, it's Wedge, it's their little uh, pod of different uh, fighter pilots and they go on these missions and they they fight the Empire through that medium. I think that would be a great animated series. Uh you know, animated movies, perhaps. I don't know. I've always wanted to see that particular story told of the Rogue Squadron. Now, but uh, you know, starships are not always everyone's cup of tea. Maybe, maybe you would like to see a slice of life in the galaxy, like we sort of got in snippets with Solo and with um, uh, Rogue One. And with Ray's story, but so here's the thing. Like, I hear what you're saying. I like, she says that they're having to take a step back and I get that Lucas has created this giant mythology, but you're saying that someone needs to come in and take a look at that. My first thought would be, well, if you're going to have someone come in and take a look at it, George Lucas might be the person to ask, but that sort of becomes problematic because then you think about episodes one through three and Jar Jar Binks and some of the other decisions that Lucas made in later years that may not have been necessarily the greatest. Yeah, I was so, going to say, he can't so be objective who, with his own creativity at this point. Right, right. So who are you, who, like, is there anybody that comes to mind for you that would be someone who is such an expert on George Lucas and Star Wars that he may know Star Wars better than George Lucas? 
I don't have anyone specifically in mind. I just think you need to bring in a creative producer powerhouse who understands the scope and span of what you are of the world that you're trying to tell a story in. I, I think that uh, as good as JJ Abrams is, he, he was kind of a little bit hamstrung with, you know, redoing a lot of elements that worked in the past and that's fine. And that's that, that'll make you a little bit of money, but it won't stand out creatively and ultimately won't achieve the heights that you're looking to achieve with this large of a production and with that type of budget. Well, and the thing about it is, is that Feige last year, there was talk about him developing a Star Wars movie, but then that was sort of like, well, this is a ways off. It was like whatever he came with. I'm, this is my perce- interpretation. I'm not saying this is what happened. Originally, there was Feige is um, looking to develop a Star Wars movie. And then Kathleen Kennedy, uh, I believe in a statement, was like, yeah, that's a ways off. Not that she was saying it wouldn't happen, but that maybe his magic in Marvel was not necessarily as magical in Star Wars. Mo, um, when I saw this quote, I was like, okay, um, if I'm not mistaken, you went and threw out a whole bunch of, like you being Kathleen Kennedy and company, threw out a whole bunch of um, mythology when you went and said what is and what isn't official chronology so now are you taking a step back because like some of the books that you like she mentions the books in here and i'm like aren't these the same books that you sort of threw out a few years ago um now granted we'll need to see how this all evolves but what was your reaction to this and where to this statement and where would you like to see star wars go well again luke it it it, i'm going yeah what you just said about the um the Lucas film, the Lucas Lucas film story group, excuse me, bit of a uh, tongue twist. Like when I feel like when you threw out or decided what they felt was the quote unquote canon. Thank you. you. I was saying in chronological, but I couldn't think of canon. Thank you very much for that. Yeah. So, so, so you eliminate, like Dan said, they're the games, they're the novels, dark horse comics, who had the who had who were producing Star Wars comics for about two decades produced um, uh, again like Dan mentioned there was a Knights Knights um, well Knights of the Old Republic the recent, wasn't like the 2018 or 2019 Star Wars um, story like one of the most heralded of that year like in terms of like what they did there I mean it was not like they just threw together old classic Star Wars. They actually told a really good story. Well, are you so? Are you because are you referring to Marvel's Star Wars comics? Because Marvel, more or less, when when Dark Horse lost the license, Marvel got the license back. Essentially, you know, having this corporate synergy between Disney, Lucas, and Marvel, um, and now Marvel's been shepherding. The, the um, Star Wars comics for a period of time, for a number of years now, 
and the Lucasfilm group more or less tells them dictates kind of you know the areas of of where they where they can have stories fit. What for me, I feel like in so, in a lot of ways that has limited what they could be doing because again, when you're talking thousands of years between Knights of the Old Republic, there is Star Wars Legacy, which in and of itself now. Again, there's some problematic issues with with Star Wars Legacy because of the events of the last Star Wars film, and and but there are pieces of these comics and books that they I think that they should be looking at, thinking about, especially if they take place thousands of years before the Skywalker saga, or or you know hundreds or thousands of years after the Skywalker saga. I think that that now that the franchise has, has it's been proven that the franchise can can be successful without the Lucas I mean excuse me without the Skywalkers uh, Rogue One proved that to a, but for, for Rogue the most one part. is very controversial I love it it's my favorite but I know that there are a lot of people who do not like it well I think I feel like the Rogue One controversy in and of itself is because they lose that's simple. It's simple as that. They lose. Everyone dies pretty much. Um, that to me is the most controversial part of Rogue One. And um, I just I looked it up. The one that I was thinking of in terms of recently critically acclaimed was the Darth Vader movie, or not movie comic. Um, the Darth yeah, Vader yeah, comic was very critically acclaimed. Is the one I was thinking of. If I'm yeah, I know which one you. Yeah, you're talking. It was by Karen Gillum. It was drawn by yep. Salvador La Roca. I yeah, um, I know which one you're referring. Yeah, referring to, but it, it falls within that that right. that period of time when Marvel the new had just, it falls within yeah. the new canon or it, not the new canon. It falls within the official canon, and it's also a Skywalker story. <laughs> yeah, but but they do did introduce a character um, in that Darth Vader series who I think is destined to either get a film or uh, a Disney Plus series, and that's Dr. Aphra. Um, she's, she is this... Um, you might as well... I think they, they break it down that she's, she's more or less... the If you place Indiana Jones in the Star Wars universe... That's what you get. Like She, she has these... Bit, uh, she's going around stealing artifacts... And she's working for the highest bidder. She, the series starts off with her initially having her own evil versions of R2D2 and C3PO uh, that she's been given by Darth, uh, Darth Vader. I think there's a lot of legs within that that you can uh, run with that with Doctor Afra. I again, but I think that there's nothing wrong with moving beyond the Skywalkers. And I really do think as Dan has said, you know, you've had years to think about this. Um, why, why is this now a growing concern? Is it because the Mandalorian blew up and showed that you truly can do something without the Skywalkers? I mean, literally, you know, there's no whisper of the Skywalkers in the Mandalorian. Um, but I, and, and again, I, I, I think that they do need to go back review and and um look at some of these these texts the 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 excuse me the work that's been done previously that they now no longer consider canon i think that is 
interesting because I feel like we're sort of in a Star Wars lull at the moment, other than the Mandalorian. Um, the Mandalorian, like I said, I love it. It feels to me like a space western, and that's the early vibe. Like the original Star Wars, definitely had much more of that vibe. And don't get me wrong, I love a space opera. So the from a purely like space politics standpoint, I I enjoyed the shenanigans of the Senate and all those type of elements. But there's something about the simplicity of the Mandalorian that I just love. And with Rogue One, it was these are a band of underdogs and I didn't expect them to die like when I first watched the movie. But when they did, it felt right. And I think that that for me is what it's coming down to with Star Wars. Star Wars needs to start producing content that feels right. Now, you're not going to be able to please everybody, but there are things like I like J.J. Abrams. His Star Treks, his Star Trek, I love it. I've watched it countless times. Um, but for a lot of people who are more hardcore Star Wars fans, they had their gripes with him. And at and the first movie, the first of his was more nostalgic, which it's easy to play up on nostalgia. But when you're creating new properties, you have to have that property feel right. And that's a very hard thing to nail down when you're looking at 25,000 years of mythology, quote unquote, and you haven't taken the time to work on that before. I agree with Dan where it's like, you've owned Star Wars for how many years now? Why weren't you doing this at the beginning? Why did you throw out so much stuff in terms of canon to make your life easier? And now you're like, well, not to say that they're not going to those resources, but they're making it sound like they're maybe equivocating a little bit. It's like there might be things that we could still pull out, those type of things. There might be elements that they could pull out from the things that aren't canon to incorporate. And so for me, I'm like, when it comes to Star Wars, when you watch The Mandalorian, and for me, when you watch Rogue One, everything about those movies feels right. And that's what they need going forward. And that's very difficult to try and nail down. Final thoughts, Dan, is there any final thought on anything we've covered or something that we may not have covered that you uh, wanted to bring mention? Uh, just, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe turn on black Panther to watch, watch some civil war, watch some Avengers, you know, do, do what you have to do. Um, but it, it, it's a good as soon as I got the news, I turned on the movie and watched it all the way through until about 1230 at night. And it was it, it, it it's amazing how um, incredible of a film uh, is that truly is. Um, so yeah. And and it keep, kept baffling me. I'm like, if he's going through colon cancer, which if you have to do any type of chemo or radiation, the fact that he was able to stay so physically fit for during that like it's quite impressive mo final thoughts yeah my my final thoughts are you know um again um you know don't take life for granted and you know 
enjoy what you enjoy. Um, that, 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 I mean, it's just a so again, it, I think Dan put it really well, you know, just put on what you need to put on and watch what you enjoy. Um, and then, you know, with regard to Ch- Chaz, just, just enjoy the body of work that of his that we have. And, you know, just, just remember the lessons that, that we can learn, learn from this. I now feel bad because my final thought is not sentimental after both of yours were. My final thought is about the Flash trailer for the upcoming season. Barry and Iris, those poor, that poor couple, they just can't ever seem to get it, get it together or have the timelines or the space-time continuum or whatever the force uh, work for them, the speed force work for them. I'm like, this is going to be a fun season, but poor Barry and Iris. I'm just I'm saying, not... I I would love to see them date other people. I'm just going to throw that out there. I yeah, but oh, that, we did that not, did remember... and that brings up one other thing we that we should probably touch on because we haven't done so yet. Um, we sort of found out how they are going to deal with the exit of Hartley Sawyer, who plays Elongated Man. Unfortunately. Um, that's a character that you can have any actor play because he can appear as in any form. So they are going to be writing Hartley out. The character of Elongated Man is going to be taking an extended break from the show once Hartley, uh, once the character is written out. But we did find out how that is going to be resolved. And if you want to find out more, you can visit uh, geekconfidential.com. You can follow Mo on Twitter at drmo 77 I am at Luke underscore Kerr. Dan is at the real Dan Pierce and geek confidential is at GK confidential. You can also like us on Facebook at GK confidential. We thank you for listening until next time. So long. See ya. Bye everybody.